0: Pastor Andy said, You have three chapters to choose from, so we're going to do all three of them. So I hope your pot roasts aren't going to be burned or anything else. No, actually, we'll be in, in Joshua chapter 10. And uh, I read through the whole thing, and, well, probably the most popular and famous passive in Joshua is in this chapter. So I thought we would stop here and just. Uh, sit on this for a while as we look at uh, a request. I was going uh, to ask Tom before he got off to, to play this little rift of you can't always get what you want to see who would kind of join in the, the old Rolling Stones <laughs> song. Uh, it's kind quite a popular now. Our, our president likes to play this every time he walks off the stage and for whatever reason I don't know. But uh, the title and the whole theme of this kind of fit with what we see here in Joshua, in chapter 10. But let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, You are a great God, and I thank You for this opportunity for You giving me to speak. Father, Your Holy Spirit is here, and Lord, I just pray that whatever is read, whatever is said, Lord, that Your Spirit would take this and use this for Your glory. And Lord, that Your kingdom would be advanced because of, of Your Word. Lord, just give me strength and words. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can't always get what you want, but... Anybody know the, the tagline? But when you try real hard, you might get what you need. In 1969, Mick Jagger wrote a song that was meant to be the flip side filler, but it became one of the best known songs for the next five decades, even, even today. It was called, You Can't Always Get What You Want. Is one of the first rock songs to use orchestral arrangements and and choirs and seem to speak into the emptiness of the self-indulgent 60s. A call to move on, to continue to seek for the misplaced hope of that era. You may be wondering, what does this song have to do with the study of Scripture and the preaching of the Gospel? I think this song, like others, researched for hope without any acknowledgement of God. Nor how a sovereign, how sovereign he really is in the lives of people. What the scriptures show us is that the sovereign hand of God is right there in every moment when we need Him the most. A trustworthy God who faithfully provides for those who put their faith and trust in Him. A misguided song that we're going to use today to to guide us to where we can come before God and ask, and and He is faithful. You know, it's, it's funny, we, we look at the Gibeonites and as we sung that last song, it's like, I think we can relate to the Gibeonites, can we? As, a, as an advancing army of, from Israel and, and God and moving through and the stories that, like, you know, they, they realized they were doomed for judgment. They were going to die. And they heard stories of how this massive army of people and and this wonderful, amazing God provided for them. And he did all these wonderful miracles. He opened up a sea for them to cross over. He closed that same sea. Then the story of Jericho and and the one woman who had faith. And and we kind of see a parallel between Rahab and these Gibeonites. They were afraid. They, they feared this God that was moving with power through their land and, and basically judging the people that would reject them. And so, yeah, they, they deceived Joshua and the people and they made this peace agreement with them. But we too make this peace agreement with God by putting our faith and trust in Him. In return, we get salvation. We get hope. And so now we, we have this story where they're in trouble. And again, Joshua is going, to, is going to come to them, and he's going to provide some relief. Let's look at this passage in Joshua 10, verses 1-15, through 15, and then we'll move on. As soon as Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and devoted its destruction, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, he feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city. Like one of the royal cities, and because it was great, greater than I, and all of its men were warriors, so Adonai Zedai, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, to Perim, king of Jarmuth, to Japhia, king of Lachish, and to Debir, king of Eglon, saying, "'Come up to me and help me, and let us strike Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua.'" And with the people of Israel. Then the five kings, the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gigal saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of the valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal, and the Lord threw them into a panic. And before Israel, who struck them with great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Haran, and struck them as far as Azekah and Machadah, and as they fled before Israel while they were going down the ascent of Beth Haran, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Aijalon." And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of the heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. So Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Now we could spend all day and there's been books written about this this miracle. How did God extend a day for 12 or 24 hours? How did he do that? If, if you know, at that time the, the idea was the sun moved, where we know that the earth is the one that moves, and the idea that if the earth stopped or slowed down, and there's been mathematical equations and everything goes, but to me, it, it doesn't matter. God did it. And we can have faith in that. There's been other theories that maybe this, this storm that was so immense, and this is a miracle in itself. We think about this. It was so dark and so, you think Midwest thunderstorm, dark tornado weather, hail's coming down. And the fact that as the armies intermixed and fought, the hailstones only landed on the heads of the five armies. Now, if you've been in a hailstone or hailstorm before, that stuff comes down and this is random. There's no way that you know. You think about it, walking through there. How in the world did the hailstones pick out individually the five armies and kill them? That in itself is a miracle. And to think, well, perhaps maybe he prayed that this hailstorm would continue, the darkness, and some interpret uh, standstill means to 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 wane or to not get greater. Maybe the sun stayed behind the clouds. And the storm extended and the hailstones kept coming until the army was defeated. Who knows? But the fact is, God is sovereign, isn't he? God is the creator of this universe and it's not beyond his capability that he can stop whatever he wants to stop without the continents going flying off the face of the earth if it did. He can do what he wants with his creation for His desire and His purpose. Now, that's that's an amazing. And some people get stuck on that. And maybe it's just me. Um, sometimes I, the small things kind of like stick with me and you may think, well, that's no big deal. But to me, this is a big deal. And it's verse 14. And it should be up there on the screen, hopefully. And he says this. It says, There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man. For the Lord fought for Israel. So let that sink in. The Lord heeded. He listened to a man. And He gave the man what he wanted. I guess Mick Jagger never heard of Joshua. Because Joshua wanted something, and what, did he, what happened? He got it. To me, that's amazing. Joshua's just a mere man. A mere mortal like any one of us. And to think, what, what is so special about Joshua that he could ask God and God would heed exactly what he wanted? Not a small, this is huge. This is a miracle. Beyond miracles that he was able to do this and God listened. So what was so special about Joshua? What about his character? And that, and I thought about it, I go, was he like and some people liken Joshua to Jesus you read Joshua and and the Old Testament and you don't see a whole lot of negative stuff about Joshua he was an obedient man he was a faithful man from the first time they faced the, the the promised land and they went across the spies they came back and they told the truth and they said we can do this but he also reminded me of David and what God said about David. And if you look at Acts 13.22, you don't have to turn there, but this is what, as, as the author Luke wrote, he, he, he said this, and when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, and whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, who will do all my will. That's where Joshua was. Joshua was like in tune with God. He was walking with God. He was listening to God. He had a heart after God. That's what made him so special. And it's nothing that we in this 21st century can't do ourselves either. To get in a place where we are considered a man or a woman after God's own heart. And when we do that, when, when our heart is, is, is chasing God, then our will becomes His will, and then that's when things happen in your life. So that kind of led me to a, a passage in Psalms, which we're going to pretty much spend the rest of our time here, because I think this passage describes Joshua. That enabled Joshua to have the confidence in God in his prayer that when he prayed this, that it was going to happen. You don't see any doubt. He, it was almost like a command. Stand still. He knew that God would do this because he was in tune with God. Let's turn to, to Psalm chapter 37. If it doesn't sound familiar to you, once you start reading it, it will. And, and the question is, you know what is the will of God? People want to know that. What is, what is God's will for my life? And we want it like point by point. We want every term. We want everything written out for us. And we just kind of follow the model. If that was the case, the Bible would be huge, wouldn't it? But God made it simple. And He gave us, I think, and then there's multiple passages you can use, but I think this passage defines really well what God wants us to do in His will. And it kind of fits the situation, or it does fit the situation in in Joshua. Psalm 37, 1-6. through 6, says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Maybe it says cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. That's a beautiful verse. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. So how does this describe Joshua? There's, there's like four commands there that God wants us to do. He wants us, he wants this passage to describe every day of our life. Every day, every moment of our life, this passage is describing how we need to live in relationship with God. And so as we go back to this tagline, we're going to change it a little bit, rewrite this song, and the first way is this, you can't always get what you want, but when you trust in the Lord and do good, you will receive what you need. Think about that. We know that God doesn't always give you every, every want that you want because a lot of times our wants aren't part of His will, is it? And we can go through a list of things that we want so badly and a lot of times we spend so much energy wanting those things that we lose sight of God's will. I think this these three verses is going to give us just a guideline of how we need to live out each and every day of our life. Trust in the Lord and do good. And you will receive what you need. Trust. Confidence. To be confident, to be bold, to be secure. Joshua knew who he was praying to and putting his full trust into God. The one who had just made the promise. You go back to verse 8 in Joshua. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. And you look at that tense word. He's already done it. You just have to be faithful and obedient, and go up and, and and heed the call of these Gibeonites and do exactly what I want you to do. I've already won the battle for you. That's that's what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. As we sung the song, He has already been victorious. He's defeated sin. All we have to do is rest in that promise and be faithful. To God, and Joshua knew that, and he knew that the battle was won. And so he's praying, "How this can happen? Do not fear them, for I have given them to you." Joshua had many opportunities to watch God at work. He was able to to trust God by his life. He knew what had happened in, in Israel. I mean, in Egypt, he knew of all the 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 plagues that came upon Egypt. He was there when they crossed the Jordan or the uh, the, the Red Sea. He was there when, when God provided the manna and the water in the wilderness. He was there when the Jordan River opened up and, and made way for them. God, He had already seen God work over and over and over again. And for us today in the 21st century, we have his word that shows us what he does over and over and over again. So there's really no reason why we shouldn't trust God, is there? He is a faithful God, always been faithful and will always be faithful forever, eternally. That's who Joshua was dealing with. He was able to put his faith and trust in God. And because of that, in the the second part of this verse, the, the first half, and do good. What does it mean to do good? How do we go out today? When we walk out these doors and we leave and we go home, What the question is, what do we do? Scripture tells us, trust God and do good, it would be good to know what good means, right? We have it. Turn to Romans twelve, chapter or chapter twelve, verse eleven. To me, doing good is is, is like a servant, a servant who faithfully obeys the will of the master and does exactly what the master wants. That is to do good. And in Romans, Paul gives us this exhortation for us, the church today, in this last or end times of how we are to live each and every day. And it fits this this passage. It says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And you look at how He asks us to serve. It's not by being slothful, which means basically going backwards. If you watch a sloth, you think they are. That right? They're really slow, but we're not to be slothful. In fact, we're to be fervent. And that word fervent means like boiling water. And as water boils, it releases heat and energy, and it's very active. And that should be our service attitude, is that we are like boiling over in our service to God. And real quickly here, there's you don't have to write these down. You can't quickly. I should have put them on the notes, but I didn't. You would have saw them like, wow, this is going to take forever. But... um, But how do we serve God? We serve God, number one, by sharing the gospel. Boom. Right off the bat. That's the number one way we serve God. I don't care who you are, where you're at, your state of, of mind, your, your economic place in society, grandma, grandpa, child, whoever you are. Our number one way that we serve God is by fulfilling the commands of Jesus by going and make disciples. Right off the bat. Share the gospel. Number two, help the disadvantaged. Like the rich man in Lazarus in Luke 16.19. Like the good Samaritan who went out and and helped the unfortunate person on the side of the road. John tells us in 1 John 3.17, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Help the disadvantage. Next one, forgive others. We have to be faithful in forgiving others. That restores unity within the body of Christ. That restores unity in your family. That restores unity in your community. And it, and it provides a way that the community sees God in our forgiveness and our love for one another. And part of that is carrying each other's burdens. The next one. View your position of authority or in uh, opportunity and 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 help those who are disadvantaged within the body of Christ and within our community as well. Next one, seek to know God in the context of fellowship. Immerse yourself in the body of Christ. That fellowship that you view fellowship with the with the with the body that koinonia is essential to your growth and for our proclamation of God's love. We have to, to pour ourselves into that fellowship. Give God glory for all things. Be God pleasers and not man pleasers. Look for the favor of God. That's a hard one. We're in this, this, you know, society where we, people want things from us we got to perform in our jobs. we got to perform in school. we got to perform sometimes in, in our relationship with our family members. They want things from us, but we are not to be God or man-pleasers, but God-pleasers. And finally, let the character of God be your standard. Let the fruits of the Spirit be who you are no matter where you're at, no matter what your situation is, no matter what season of life you're in, no matter you're facing death or you're facing a new birth, whatever it may be, that the character of God is your standard of living. That is doing good. And if you look back and, and you guys have been going through Joshua, you see that in Joshua. He had Christ-like character as he sought to do the will of God. A faithful obedient servant. The next one. You can't always get what you want, but when you dwell in the land and be faithful, you will receive what you need. Dwell or abide. Jesus spends all of chapter 15 of John describing how we are to abide in Christ. I can just sum it up by saying just plop yourself down in Christ. Immerse yourself in Christ. Immerse yourself in the Word of God. Make Christ your identity. As Paul says, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives through me. Make that your daily quote, slogan, Bible verse, whatever it is, that you are to plop yourself in Christ and let Him live through you. Why would you do that? I mean, He's a giver of life. He's the source of every spiritual blessing that we have to accomplish his task. So we need to spend time in him so that we may do the things that he calls us to do. And as you do this, you cultivate your faithful obedience and love for Jesus. Be obedient in all things that scriptures ask you to do. Everything. Allow your obedience to be that living testimony of the greatness of Jesus. As you cultivate this faithfulness, cultivate your love for one another, that the world will see the church as one. Jesus prayed in his last prayer before his crucifixion, he prayed that we the church, this church, Calvary, my church, the to Fellowship, life, all the churches of the world, that as the, as the city sees us come together as one, that there is love and unity, and we are in one accord for one purpose, to give God the glory. That's why we exist. Cultivate that love for your neighbor. That people know that you love Christ and people know that you love them. The neighbor that needs the hope that we have in Jesus. 60,000 people in Woodland. And probably today, Sunday morning, what, maybe 2,000 people? That's probably a, a, a big number. That are gathering together. Woodland is lost. Woodland needs to see that there is hope and there is truth. People want truth. People want to stand on something that will not give away. And we have that truth. We have the truth that this city wants. We have the hope that this city needs. So cultivate your love for your neighbor. Pray that God will give you a burden for the lost. I was reading through Romans this, this past couple weeks and in and, and chapter 9, the beginning of it, it, it just crushes my heart. It convicts me so much when I read this because I'm not there yet. And this is where we need to be as a church. Listen to this. This is Paul speaking to the Jews in Rome and the church. With Christ as my witness, he says, I'm not lying, this is the truth, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscious And the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and an ending grief. For my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters, I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ if that would save them. (laughs) That's convicting, church. There's, there's no way there's i no i'm i 'm not going to trade places with i can 't do that but Paul had such grief and a burden for the lost that he would rather switch places with them than see them die without Jesus Christ that 's the type of love that we need to cultivate within ourselves in the body of Christ a love for God and the love for others so as you you serve and as you wait for God to use you for whatever capacity, maybe you're in between time and in, in, in ministry and service, or maybe you're not yet serving. As you wait, cultivate the love for God. Park yourself at the foot of the cross and, and realize how much Christ has done for you. And in return, you love him more and more and more, which drives us. That love for Christ drives us to do the things that we need to do, to live the life that we need to live. You can't always get what you want, but when you delight in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. A lot of people misuse this verse <laughs> for things. But you really have to look at the word delight. It's a very powerful word. It's a a very soft word, but it's a very powerful word. Delight means to be malleable or moldable or formable. And they would use this word to describe kind of the the process of, of laying fine gold over something that it just takes the shape of that structure. And the psalms, David is asking us that we would be so soft and pliable in the hands of God that he would just form us around the image of Christ. As we are called to be ambassadors of Christ, image bearers of Christ, it's not us, it's, it's, the, it's what God is forming us over around Christ. He is the central part of this. And for it to be that soft and pliable, that in tune with God, basically that, that our heartbeat becomes one with God. And we're so in tune to God, and we know what God wants, so when we ask Him, we're asking basically what He desires anyway. And we see that here with Joshua, that Joshua is so in tune. I mean, David could have been writing this about Joshua. Joshua that Joshua knew exactly what God wanted. If they were to go into this land and, and, and to, to basically be used by God to, to pronounce judgment on this land and to be a light so that people like the Gibeonites and Rahab would see the power and the majesty of God and they would be attracted to God. Joshua was doing this, and when he asked, his desire to prolong the day was also God's desire. So we need to be delighting in God. Through His Word, allowing God to shape you, to mold you, to be Christ-like in every aspect of our life. Then He will give you the desires. A New Testament version of the same verse, I think, is Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will what? Be added unto you. It's very similar. And so in the New Testament version, our priority is to seek God's kingdom. Joshua was doing that. He was seeking the kingdom of God in the promised land, wasn't he? God was establishing his kingdom there. Joshua was seeking that and doing that. And by doing that, he was was chasing after righteousness because he knew that if all these foreign people stayed there who had rejected God, there would be a huge temptation that would compromise their testimony nothing's changed in so many thousands of years that we are to seek the kingdom of god be faithful to that purpose seek righteousness live a holy life so that the attention would be not to us but to god the father and the question is what are you delighting in what is molding you What are you allowing to to mold and shape you into what form? What are your desires right now? Are your desires the desires of God? Are your desires to be faithful in the commands of Jesus Christ? To love Him? To love one another? To love your neighbor? Is that your desire? You can't always get what you want. The final point. But when you commit your way to the Lord, He will act. When you give yourself to God, that's what the psalm says. He will act. Verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. kind of repeats. It goes back. And the promise is, He will act. He will act in giving you the desires of your heart. Everything God does is perfect. And as we pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, we must be willing to set our will aside and pursue the will of God. That's the tough part, isn't It's setting myself aside. Setting my desires, my will aside. It's all right, God, my life is your life. My will is your will. I'm going to focus on that. And the psalmist, David tells us here, David tells us here that we need to commit our way to God. Be willing to pursue the will of God at all cost. We must be willing to surrender all areas of our life to God. Trust Him in every battle that we are in. And I know we're all in different battles right now. We walk in here. You know sometimes and, and we put on the, the face of church sometimes, but we're all facing something. And the promise is that when we give ourselves to God, He will fight that battle for you. Joshua and the people gave themselves to God, and God get, had, was, had already given the battle to them. The battle has been won. Romans 8:35 through 37. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Here are the battles. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. As it is written, for, you sa- for your sake, we are all being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, 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 no. Not in all these things. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. We are more than conquerors. The battle has been more than won. It has been won completely. Jesus Christ and His sacrifice, His blood atoning for our sins, conquered every sin that we have. That we can enter His presence and, and worship Him daily. God had told Joshua He would not leave a man stand before Him. And He, he acted. Joshua prayed His desire was God's desires, and God acted and completely took care of the battle for him. And so the application is is, as you bring yourself to God, as you lay your battle before Him, and trust Him that He has already won that battle. It, It hasn't changed. It sounds bigger and more grand, you know, grandeur because of of the sun standing still. Well, so what? Our battles are just as big today. And God will be just as faithful today in answering that prayer. But we have to trust Him to give it to Him. Today, He acts in a miraculous way. He gives life to those who put their faith and trust in Him. Of the song we sung, of all miracles, I mean, nothing. I don't, dry bones coming to life, how does that compare to the sun standing still? Being spiritually broken and dead and God breathing life into you through the Holy Spirit, how miraculous is that? And we've experienced that. That you were once dry bones, lifeless, spiritless, nothing there, and God breathed life into you through the Holy Spirit. That your sins have been forgiven, that Christ atoned for every last sin, and then some. God tells us that in Christ we are victorious. The battle has been won, and nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. You may not always get what you want, but when you're delighting in God, seeking His kingdom and righteousness, He will give you what you need to glorify Him. What else can we ask for? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You are an amazing, wonderful God. To know that You love us so much, to know that, Lord, You took it upon yourself to come down here to this earth, to step into this messy world, to be persecuted, to be put to death, that we may have life. Lord, I pray for myself and for the church here and the church of Woodland, Lord, that we would delight in you. Lord, that we would be obedient and faithful to you, to serve you as we serve others. Lord, that when we pray, we can pray with confidence as your children that you will answer. Father, I, I pray for, for Calvary, Lord. I pray, Lord, that, that there would be just a unity a binding together around this truth. That this would be a church that seeks to glorify you in all that they do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.